Nice dress. Thanks. I bought it at Versace. In the forum. Oh, yeah, Versace. I love Versace. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Ugh, so painful, but so good. clip of course of course it's from the movie showgirls the film that makes you ask does this turn me on or repulse me what's really wrong with me why do i feel the need to watch this again Faithful listeners, you make my world go round. And hello to the new listeners. Look at y'all. You've landed in a good place. Together, let's all get through this crazy thing called life. The breakdown of our show is current events, current events, y'all know that. The conspiracy section. What we're watching and doing, then wrapping up the show with announcements and shout outs. Boy, that sounds like a good show. It's been 25 years since the movie Showgirls. Showgirls is a 1995, oh... That was really bad. Erotic drama film written by Joe Esterhaas and directed by Paul Verhoeven. It stars a former teen actress, Elizabeth Berkley. You guys know her from Saved by the Bell. Kyle MacLachlan, he's the guy from Twin Peaks TV show. And Gina Gershon. If y'all don't know who she is, then we can't talk anymore.
The film centers on a street-smart drifter who ventures to Las Vegas and climbs the seedy hierarchy from stripper to showgirl. Uh, what to say about showgirls? I don't know. I need to give it a rewatch. Definitely. I would say very soon, in fact. So yes, hey, maybe even look forward to a showgirls movie thing. I could definitely see that happening. Okay, side note, enemy.com, one of my favorite sites, actually had a pretty interesting article. It was titled Showgirls at 25, Why Paul Verhoeven's Erotic Flop is an Integral Part of Queer Cinema. Interesting article there, give that a go. Okay, quickly, here's just a few interesting things about Showgirls. If you haven't seen it, I honestly pity you. And I don't really say that much. Okay, the main guy, Kyle, the guy from Twin Peaks, After he saw the film, he said, This is horrible. Horrible. And it's a very slow, sinking feeling when you're watching the movie. And the first scene comes out, and you're like, Oh, that's a really bad scene. But you say, Well, that's okay. The next one will be better. And somehow you try to convince yourself that it's going to get better, and it just gets worse. (laughs) Okay? He's a regular uh, Siskel and Ebert. Okay? Quickly, let's move on with this showgirls thing. After 20 years, Elizabeth Berkley has finally made peace with the film. That's the one from Saved by the Bell. Berkeley attended a 20th anniversary screening of the film at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Why wasn't I there? Uh, I did see Pee-wee's Big Adventure there, and Pee-wee was there. Jurassic Park, there was on 4th of July, and all the fireworks exploded all at once. Okay, Okay. so when Elizabeth spoke about the humiliation of the film and a horrible backlash, I guess, that she experienced, she said, oh, yeah, I hear this. Quote, 1995 was such a different time where taking risks like that were not embraced. They were laughed at. They were shamed publicly. To be a young girl in the center of that was something that was quite difficult, but I found my own resiliency and my power and my confidence. And she ended her speech with, Tonight I want to thank you guys for giving me this gift of truly getting a full circle moment of experiencing the joy with you. And I hope that you grab life and go Andrew Carver on its ass. (laughs) (laughs) And just know that I love you guys so much and appreciate you and thank you for giving me strength and confidence in becoming the woman that I am. Remember... Okay, moving on with current events, current events, current events, current events. Oh, this is huge news, I think. 
In this house it is. Rapper DeBrat, one of Missy Elliott's best friends, she just came out of the closet. For you guys that don't know the brat, here's a little clip of her in uh, Suck It To Me by Missy Elliott. No one can say it better than the brat, so here we go. Here she is talking about her love and a little on her experience of coming out. Her name is Jessica Dupart. She's the owner of Kaleidoscope Hair Products, Miracle Drops, Make Your Edges Grow Back and all that good stuff. They have all kinds of products. I am elated to be made to feel so amazing. I am intrigued by her. I learn things from her. Uh, when I'm wrong, she gets in my ass. You know what I'm saying? So it's like... I'm I'm very I'm very happy and it just made me want to tell the world I've never felt like this and I I'm blessed. We just wanted to tell everybody. I just wanted to tell everybody like I feel free like a weight is lifted. Like I'm I'm not going to be telling y'all all my damn business now, you know, but I will, you know, I I love I love being able to display my happiness and who I'm with because I feel so amazing, yo. It's like a weight is lifted. I feel like I've been imprisoned or something. I don't give a damn about what people say. I've been in the industry for so long now. I've got a coat of armor built so thick that I'm going to do what the hell I want to do. And I'm very happy and proud to say that I am in love and she is amazing. She is everything that I needed for so long. As long as you're happy, that's all that matters. You can't worry about the trolls. You can't worry about what what people have to say, any negativity, because anything you do in life and you're successful and you're happy, somebody always has something to say. So you got to ignore them and live your damn life. Beautiful. I'm not going to lie. That made me cry. So congratulations to the brat. Okay, moving on with current events. This is interesting. I mean, I guess we find this all interesting or we wouldn't have put it in the show. Here's a boring story. Okay. Rage Against the Machine, y'all know them, the band from the 90s are still around. They enter the charts again. Rage Against the Machine have re-entered the U.S. charts following worldwide protests for racial equality in the wake of George Floyd's death. The band's 1992 self-titled album has appeared at number 174 in the Billboard 200. It has also reached number 8 in the iTunes album chart. The album's Billboard chart peak came in 1994, when it reached number 45. In the UK, the highest chart position was number 17. I mean, who knows about those numbers, though? People pay to be on Billboard. People do this, people do that. I'm not saying Rage did that. I'm just saying, like, who cares what the numbers say? That's all hogwash. Rage Against the Machine's debut LP contains their best-known single, Killing in the Name of, which attacks white supremacy and institutional racism in the police and has taken on increased relevance in the wake of Floyd's death. That song they were referring to, Killing in the Name? Man, I saw Rage uh, with Wu-Tang Clan when I was 18. Oh my god. I rolled 20 joints, hit them in a flashlight, and uh, it was an outdoor concert in Florida raining, thundering, lightning, the show went on. 
and it was, excuse my language, fucking amazing. It started raining, thunder, lightning, and we were slight. There was a huge hill. It started getting muddy, and we all started sliding down the mud. Oh my god! It was hundreds of eighteen-year-olds that were angry and out to have a good time and just living. And uh, boy, we were listening to Wu Tang and Rage and sliding down that hill and just doing drugs and screaming and oh my god, definite highlight of my life. I used to have a like six foot by six foot one of those huge wall posters of Rage Against the Machine when I was 18 in my room. Oh my god. Gotta revisit that album. It's just so good. I mean, one of the most unique sounds in music history. <laughs> Hands down. Actually, I was on tour. We were about to do sound check, and you know, at like four in the afternoon. And um, we walked into the bar, and I saw Zach De La Rocha in there. And uh, it was one of his first gigs as One Day as a Lion, his power duo supergroup. <laughs> Man. I saw them play maybe two songs for soundcheck, and I was just standing there shitting. Because it's like 11 people in the room. It's the band you're in, the other band, and like two dudes that are doing sound. <laughs> and like the bartender who's like washing glasses. And that's it. That's your day at the office. One day as a lion played like two songs, and I thought I shit myself. I went outside. I don't know what I did. I don't remember. And then I walked back up to the venue, and Zach LaRocha was sitting outside by himself. He looked really nervous. I don't know if it was because he could have something going on in his personal life, but it was one of their first shows as One Day as a Lion. I was wondering, like, man, he looks kind of nervous. I, I, I'm sure he is. But who knows? You know, maybe, like, the sun was in his eyes or something. But, yeah, man, One Day as a Lion. Look him up. Okay, moving on. The conspiracy section. Just keep it moving. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, quickly, one quick thing to burst right into that conspiracy section. WikiLeaks might have another drop soon. Don't know if y'all know what WikiLeaks is. WikiLeaks is an international nonprofit organization that publishes news leaks and classified media provided by anonymous sources. According to the WikiLeaks website, the goal is, quote, to bring important news and information to the public. One of our most important activities is to publish original source material alongside our news stories so readers and historians alike can see evidence of the truth. 
Another of the organization's goals is to ensure that journalists and whistleblowers are not prosecuted for emailing sensitive or classified documents. WikiLeaks has an online Dropbox, and it's described by the WikiLeaks website as, quote, an innovative, secure, and anonymous way for sources to leak information to WikiLeaks journalists, end quote. So there you go, a little snapshot on WikiLeaks. <laughs> There's, that's so deep. We could do a whole episode on WikiLeaks. It's hella interesting. Free Julian Assange. Okay, moving on, the conspiracy section. One of the first things I learned in college, and I was like, hmm, I might like this, was the fact that the Vietnam War started on a manipulation and an absolute lie. We were manipulated. In 1964, President Lyndon Johnson told the public that the U.S. ships were attacked by the Vietnamese. This is known as the Gulf of Tonkin attack. He did this to gain the support of American citizens for the Vietnam War. However, a year later, Johnson admitted that there was no attack and was quoted as saying, quote, For all I know, our Navy was shooting at whales out there, end quote. In 2005, official documents from the National Security Agency were released that the whole Gulf of Tonkin attack never happened and was fabricated to gain support for the war. Happened once. Did it or could it happen again? Moving on. This is very interesting. My first thought after reading this actually was Stanley Kubrick. In 1975, the CIA revealed a secret weapon that could cause fatal heart attacks. It worked by shooting a small poison dart that could penetrate clothing and left behind nothing but a tiny red dot on the skin. The dart disintegrated on impact, and the target would only feel a small prick, similar to a bug bite. Since the poison denatured quickly, it could not be detected in an autopsy. Therefore, the CIA could carry out assassinations that wouldn't be traced back to them. Many believe the CIA still uses this weapon today. Here's an interesting clip. It's senators on Capitol Hill. They're examining the CIA's infamous poison dart gun. The weapon was first made public during the church committee hearings in 1975. Very lethal and untraceable. Using this weapon, a murder is made to look natural. No doubt the CIA has been using this weapon and has most likely improved upon it since the 70s. Here we go, here's the clip. Various devices for administering the toxin that were found in the laboratory make it clear that purely defensive uses were not what the agency uh, had, had, uh, was limited to in any way. There were definite offensive uses. In fact, there were dart guns. You mentioned suicide. Well, I, I, I don't think a suicide is usually accomplished with a dart, uh, particularly a gun that can place the dart in a human target in such a way that he doesn't even know that he's been hit. There's no question about it. It was also for offensive reasons. Does this pistol uh, fire the dart? Yes, it does, Mr. Chairman. The, uh, that, the round thing at the top is obviously the sight. The rest of it is uh, what is practically a, uh, a normal 45, although it's, a, it's special. It, however, it, it works by electricity. There's a battery in the handle, and it fires a small dart. So that when it fires, it fires silently? Almost silently, yes. Uh, very little. Very what little. range does it have? 100 meters. 100 meters, I believe, about. About 100 yards, 100 meters. About 100 meters range. Right. And the dart itself, when it strikes the, the, the uh, target, um, 
does the uh, target know that he's about that he's been hit and about to die? That depends, Mr. Chairman, on the particular dart used. There are different kinds of these flechettes uh, that were used in, in uh, various weapon systems, and a special one was developed which potentially would be able to uh, enter the target without perception. Without perception. Right. Isn't it true, too, that um, the, the effort not only involves designing a gun that could strike a, a human target without knowledge of the person who'd been struck, but also the toxin itself would not appear in the autopsy? Well, there, there was an attempt to... Or the to dark? Make, yes, so that uh, there was no, no way of perceiving that the, uh, the target was hit. As a murder instrument, that's about as efficient as you can get, isn't it? It, it, it is a weapon, a very serious weapon. Okay, moving on with uh, conspiracy theories that ended up to be true. The CIA project known as Operation Mockingbird spied on members of the Washington press starting in the early 1950s. As part of this operation, they paid journalists to publish CIA propaganda, wiretapped their phones, and monitored their offices to keep tabs on their activities and visitors. The CIA paid student and cultural organizations as well as magazines to serve as front organizations. The covert operation was finally uncovered in Senate hearings in the mid-1970s. Approved by the Pentagon Chiefs, the Department of Defense, and Joint Chiefs of Staff, Operation Northwoods was a proposed plan to fabricate acts of terrorism on U.S. soil. If carried out, it would have killed innocent citizens to trick the public into supporting a war against Cuba in the early 1960s. The operation even proposed blowing up a U.S. ship and hijacking planes as a false pretext for war. Luckily, John F. Kennedy, who was president at the time, put a stop to this planned operation. Okay, here's the last thing quickly I want to talk about in the conspiracy section. Sometimes if you look up certain things on the internet, like a conspiracy or maybe a Actually, just let me just rephrase that. Sometimes when you look up things that differ from what the media is telling us, you can come upon this thing called Snopes, snopes.com. According to Wikipedia, Snopes, formerly known as Urban Legends Reference Pages, call themselves a fact-checking website. It has been described as a, quote, well-regarded reference for sorting out myths and rumors on the internet. Okay? A lot of times I'll be looking into something maybe that a victim of some kind has said or just looking up information, and a lot of times I'll run into Snopes. And what I've seen is that evidence and victim testimony and things like this gets totally <laughs> shut down called false internet watchdog of sorts right control right they have control snopes is now 50 percent owned by an ad agency proper media and they make money by generating millions of views on third-party advertisements they seek out viral articles to quote debunk them end quote so they can piggyback on that traffic and generate more advertising revenue Okay, that's one thing, right? Money. Snopes was founded by a husband and wife team. I don't know anything about them. There's stuff about them on the internet that's just gossipy shit. I don't even really know. These two people started it, right? Then sold half of it. Snopes has now hired a team of fact checkers who collaborate to debunk falsehoods that are trending on the internet 
These fact-checkers reportedly have no editorial oversight and do not follow standard journalistic procedures, such as interviewing the authors of articles they are trying to debunk. They do not get all sides of the story. Snopes doesn't have a formal screening process for hiring fact-checkers and evaluating applicants for any potential conflicts of interest. Without such standards, it is very easy for them to be infiltrated by those who work with the industry and who have hidden agendas. Totally. So yeah, I just wanted to just talk a little about that. I don't know anything about that company, those people. They could be salt of the earth. But what I have seen on their website is victim testimony and evidence just completely getting called false for somebody's agenda, right? Let me see. Anything else on conspiracy section? Conspiracy 24-7, baby. Just watch everything. All right. Let's move on. What we're watching and doing section. Yes. I saw a great documentary last night on Netflix. It's called LA 92. Oh man. The content was so enlightening and moving. The directing and just overall production was earth-shaking and inspiring. I mean, this doc rocked my world in every way that I can be rocked by a film. is a 2017 American documentary film about the 1992 Los Angeles riots directed by Daniel Lindsay and TJ Martin. Consisting entirely of archival footage, the documentary chronicles the 1992 Los Angeles riots after 25 years have passed. It includes film and video from the 1965 Watts riots, the Rodney King videotape, and the subsequent riots and violence that erupted after the acquittal of the officers involved in King's beating. God, it was good. LA 92 on Netflix. 